You are listening to Engaging and Exciting Conversation on the Radiant Culture Podcast. Podcast. Get ready. Now. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to the Radiant Culture Podcast. My name is T Mac. And I'm Cookie Monster. And we've got Cool Waza in the building. Cool. What's up? What's up, everybody? Hey, how are you doing? Well, how are you guys doing? Good. Sneaker chan dog. Yeah. Yeah, this weather. Yeah. I'm actually quite enjoying it. Yeah, this weather is not from God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So who is it from? Huh? Who is it from? Well, you know. There's only God and then there's wow. others. You know he can hear you. Like he can actually hear what you're saying. Anyway, and we are in the presence of a pastor. You're embarrassing me. Anyway, we have Pastor C here today as well. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thank you for coming along to have this discussion with us. Um, So we've been talking about relationships, leaning more towards marriage. We discussed Lobola and what Christians can do in between the time they pay the bride price and when they get married or what they can't do or whatever. (laughs) However you choose to interpret that episode. Um... What else did we discuss? Premarital counseling. Premarital counseling, yeah. And on relationships, that's it, right? I think so. Yeah. Yes. And then last week we had Bothwell and Rumbi. So this week we are going to be talking about the very touchy subject of divorce. Mm. Christians don't like talking about it because it seems as though the scripture is very black and white. Like you shouldn't do it. And if you do, you're committing adultery. If you remarry after that, like it doesn't seem like there's much wiggle room except for instances where Jesus says, okay, fine, if there was infidelity. But otherwise, people still get divorced, even if there is no infidelity. So, we are here to talk about that. Yeah. And really understand, I mean, what's okay and what's not okay. Yeah, it's crazy. And, you know, I was just thinking the other day about the rate at which uh, divorce is happening, just in the world, generally. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, in the church as well. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just pretty amazing that um, we've got this huge uh focus on marriage and people getting married and you know every young person is sort of looking forward to the day they get married you know everyone is kind of anxious about Except that for you you've voiced your disdain for, <laughs> for marriage well let's not call it disdain you know <laughs> you, you're listen can you not like do that okay it's fine. You know, yeah, all so right. someone yeah. could be listening oh wow sorry <laughs> anyway <clears throat> And yet what then happens is that people people get married mm-hmm. and then there's divorce, you know, and you just wonder that, you know, after all the wonderful plans and uh, big wedding and everyone and is there, yeah. counseling, prayer, all that goes into it. But and yet some of the marriages fail. So we want to talk about that. So I guess how are you guys doing? Yeah, we're right. Yeah. Maybe what we can do for the benefit of our listeners um, is that you can tell us a bit about who you are. Your marital status? I'm joking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe you can do that too, since, you know, today is. Okay. Yeah. yeah I don't know. But feel free. All right. Well, I'm uh, Shingai, and I'm sure a lot of you have, you know, become very familiar with me over the years. Yes, our resident theologian. Yes, uh, that's what you call me. <laughs> Every time you say that, I shudder because, yeah, anyway. <laughs> um, I was to say I'm married with uh, two kids and, um, you know, I'm an actuarial professional sometimes risk management and all that sort of thing we're not like to talk about yes i say sometimes because i don't feel like it most of the time 
But that's just something that I do. Um, but I love the Word of God. I love to read it. I love to share it. I love discussing it. And I love this platform because I get to do just that. Awesome. Thanks, Kuwaza. Pastor C. Okay. Um, I'm Pastor C. Uh, a pastor by profession. Um, I have a marketing background, but uh, left that to pursue full-time ministry. My husband and I are pastors at a particular church. <laughs> uh, married, we have six kids. Um, we're a blended family, so yeah, this subject is something that's very, very close to my heart, mm. so it will be very interesting to see what comes out of it. Um, I'm also studying theology currently. I'm in my last year now oh, at wow. Theological College. Um, once I'm done, I'm hoping to pursue counseling. That's exactly. what I really want to get into yeah, and open a counseling clinic. So nice. that's me. It's very that's my needed. background. Mm. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah, especially yeah. where we are right now. Mm. Yeah, it is. It is. This is pretty awesome. Okay, so let's get into this. Yes. Divorce. Yes. Why is it so high? Yeah, um, that's a very interesting question. But if you look at uh, one of the verses that I love to, I laugh when I read it. You know, Jesus had just told a few guys in Matthew 19 about uh, the Pharisees and asked him, why you know Moses allowed divorce? Right. Uh, you know, give a, you know, give your wife a certificate of divorce was what it said in Deuteronomy twenty four, uh, and Jesus said it's because of your hard hearts. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. And then he says, if anyone divorces their wife, and then remarries, you know, he commits adultery. And then the disciples came to him and said, uh, if this is the situation between a man and his wife then it's better not to marry. <laughs> yeah. And you get from that statement that their experience as married people, uh, some of them, most of them, you know Peter had a mother-in-law, so he had to, be, had to have been married. Right. That they would have, have thought, look, if I don't have the emergency kick-out panel that you call divorce, you know, as a backstop, then marriage is not worth doing because marriage is probably very hard. It's very difficult. Uh, and I think that's what you see. Paul says in 1 Corinthians seven twenty-eight uh, that... Uh, and I want to spare you guys the trouble of marriage because those who marry are going to have lots of trouble in this life. <laughs> you know, so you already just across the board, you see that marriage is very difficult. And I think the, uh, the numbers reflect that, uh, that it's not so easy to come in. You're, you're a person with your own background, your own load of weaknesses and issues and someone else has got their own. And then you're coming in and you're you know, together and you're going to do this the whole of your lives. All sorts of things happen. People change, people grow. Uh, and you're not growing at the same pace, or you know, all sorts of things can happen, and that's why you see the problems that we see with, you know, in marriage. Taking even further back into Genesis three sixteen, where God is judging the woman for what she did for eating, right? And of course, He does judge the snake, the woman, and the man. But uh, this is, He addresses to the woman. He says, "Your desire is going to be for your husband, and he's going to rule over you." Now, the word desire. Uh, is not so much just a longing and a yearning in the in the original language. In the original language, it could mean uh, a desire to dominate, a desire to take uh, authority over. Mm -hmm. So it's the same word used when God says to um, Cain, "Beware that sin is crouching at your door," and its desire is for you. It's the same word. Uh, so it's not a desire to say, "Oh, I long for you." Sin longs. Oh, please, you know, it's a harsh. I want to rule. I want to take over. And then it says that, you know, your husband is going to rule over you. And the word there is to exercise dominion. Right. So it's, it's, not a, it's, it's not a happy uh, scenario. It's mm. one is trying to, to usurp. The other is, is crushing the rebellion, as it were. 
And that was introduced as a result of, uh, you know, the sin that these guys, you know, when they ate of the tree of the knowledge of, uh, you know, of good and evil. So you see that now in people's lives, to the extent that people have received uh, Christ and his redemptive work is that to the extent that you'll see some of those issues mitigated, you know, like having a new mindset when Jesus came to do, what does marriage really mean in, in, in the context of Christ and his church and what it says in Ephesians chapter 5. But in the world, you won't see that. You'll see guys you know, experiencing that conflict that was introduced through the judgment that God brought on that relationship between Adam and Eve because of you know, as a consequence of the sin that they, uh, you know, engaged in. So I said a lot, but basically. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was a man. That's a lot to chew yeah, yeah. just, What I'm just basically saying, yeah, what I'm basically saying is what you're seeing now is what we would yeah. expect because of some of the issues, uh, that marriage being difficult in, in and of itself because of two people coming together and yeah. also that uh, judgment that God introduced because of the sin of Adam and Eve. No, great. I love yeah. that background that you've given. Because um, I think it's very, it's yeah, it just brings in a totally different perspective. I, I never knew that. That's actually quite deep. That the desire would meant that, right? Yeah. yeah. I've always kind of wondered what it meant. I was mm. like, but her desires for her husband. I'm like, why is that a bad thing? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Well, that's great. Um, pastor C. Yes. As a pastor, do you feel that the church is doing enough to prepare people for for marriage, for the challenges that actually come with marriage. Um, I find that a lot of, <clears throat> in a lot of churches, um, if you're a single person, especially if you're a single guy, there's a lot of pressure to say, when are you getting married? When are you doing it? Mm-hmm. Right? Because there's this expectation that mm-hmm. uh, by the time you get to a certain age, you should take the step. Mm-hmm. However, is enough being done to then prepare people for the pressures that come with marriage and for the possible eventuality that some marriages may not work uh to be honest no um i think when i look at uh the church holistically and uh who we've been called to be as as the church i think we're falling short in a lot of areas one of the things that you mentioned was um how um as a church you know what we look at when we're preparing our young people i want to look at for example just general conversations that i have with my children at home you know, one of the things that I'm very big on is my family is predominantly girls. I've got like five girls. Right. Mm. So I like to teach them to be very ladylike, mm. right? To mm. be very feminine, you know, to be very polite and so on. But I always laugh to myself when I'm walking around town now where, um, you know, you're walking and the young men that you're meeting up with are so impolite. I've had men uh, giving me the finger while I'm driving because maybe some guy swerved into my lane and I had to swerve, you know, to avoid that or I'm right. avoiding a pothole and then the guy on my side gives me a finger and I look and it's a guy who's probably in his 20s. So my question is, what are we teaching kids? These are the young men that are going to marry my daughters, you know. Yeah. So if already this guy is driving and giving me the finger, a potential mother-in-law, you don't know when next you're going to meet me, you know. Yeah. And I've got so many examples of having men, young men who've been very abusive in the way they've spoken to me or whatnot. Yeah. Because I will walk into a church, for example, and people don't know me. They know my husband more. And I'm not one of those pastors who walks in and I'm like, carry my Bible, you know. Mm-hmm. Can you see me? Can you do this? Can you do that? Yeah. And then later on, when I'm then moved to the front, people realize, oh my goodness, this is who she really is, you know, or mm-hmm. this is who she's married to or something like that. Or yeah. later on, I meet them somewhere else and I'm actually given a platform where I'm speaking. And someone has treated me in a very um, disrespectful manner. My whole point is respect me as a woman. 
You know, don't respect me because I'm a pastor or because I'm a pastor's wife. Respect right. me because I'm a woman. So my question is, what are we teaching our youth in the church right now? We're not teaching our young men to be gentlemen. We're not teaching them to be providers. We're not teaching them to be, you know, good husbands. We're not teaching them the basics of being good men. Right. So automatically, that means that this is the background that this person is going to carry when they then get into their marriage. Are we teaching our young women to be young ladies? Mm -hmm. You know, are we teaching them? And I'm not talking about cleaning up the house and whatnot. No, 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 no. I'm talking about being polite, respect, yeah. respecting adults, respecting our culture. Because as much as we are Christians, we still have a cultural background that we come from. Yeah. And unfortunately, the other thing that's happening now is because of, you know, people going to the diaspora and the separation of the family nucleus and so on and so on. Mm -hmm. A lot of our young people today are not growing up with the more older voices, the more mature voices speaking yeah. into their lives. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's so many single mothers right now in mm -hmm. churches. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the question is, that, 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 that vacuum that's been created where the kids don't have a father figure, boys and girls, who's now stepping in, right, and covering that. Because as a woman, my choice of a husband is actually people don't realize this, hey, but fathers play such a big role when it comes to how a child chooses, um, especially the girl child, how she chooses her husband. Yeah. So, for example, I remember when I was reading up on this and doing my research, a girl who's had issues with her father, right, where there's been a serious vacuum and maybe there hasn't been a father or whatever, are the ones that generally tend to fall for your much older men. You know, if you grow up with an abusive father, that's what you understand. That's what you begin to believe love is. So highly likely you're going to be attracted to a guy who might not appear abusive, but later on in life, you begin to see the abusive traits, you know, coming up. So I feel that as a church, we are not meeting the gap when it comes to teaching the men in the church right now to be good fathers who are mm -hmm. fathers already. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not teaching the young men in the church to be good young men, you know, to be gentlemen, to be respectful. You know, we're not teaching them these things. Um, in the professional world, we call them soft skills, you know, your customer yeah. care skills. Mm -hmm. You walk into a shop right now, these young people are not even greeting you. They act like, you know, you've actually <laughs> disturbed them. You know, yes, it's like, ha, you know, why yeah. are they here yeah. and whatnot, you know, small things like this. But as a church, when we, be when we begin to meet these needs, we cry so much about, I mean, someone was giving an example of how some, one of these city of Harare workers was sweeping the street and a school kid dropped a banana peel. And then someone said, then the lady sweeping said, look, I've just been sweeping. And then the kid said to her, if I don't throw this banana peel, you know, where will you get work from? If I don't give you rubbish to pick up. Wow. These are the kids that we are raising in the home. So what sort of husbands and what sort of wives are we creating? But if we in the church, because at this point in time, I believe that our society has to be undergirded by the church because a lot of people are lacking the basics of a proper family nucleus or a complete family yeah. in their homes. So we as a church need to step in and we need to provide programs yeah. where we then begin to meet that need. Let's have programs for the young men that we know are fatherless, you know, or are struggling with fathers who are not being fathers in the home. Let's have programs for women in the church where we're teaching them to just be good women from a biblical perspective. What does the Bible say? The Bible tells us that the older women must teach the younger women. Yeah. Are we doing that? Are we mentoring these young people? I feel we are not. And this is where it all begins. That's the foundation that these kids are carrying into their marriages now. And um, well, it just becomes shaky right from the beginning. Yeah. yeah. We have to start from the beginning. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like right. yeah. From the seed and let it grow straight. Yes, exactly. Crooked. Yes. Um, on that of teaching the the older women teaching the young women. Excuse me. Um, last week, we discussed briefly kitchen teas and the sort yes. of things that women are taught there. Whether it's good or bad, I guess you need to have some level of discernment. Yes. But one thing you do hear um, a lot from the older women is 
you stay no matter what. Mm -hmm. Whether he has five girlfriends or he is abusing <laughs> you or whether he has been jobless for 10 years and mm. you are now the breadwinner, whatever submission. the case, the gospel that is preached is you stay. There's no option for you to leave. Like once you're in, you're in. And one could argue that that's more biblical than to say, ah, if you see it's too tough for you, leave. Mm -hmm. So I want to know from you guys, where did that teaching come from and is it biblical? Mm. Well, um, so it's where the teaching comes from. Uh, of course, I feel a little bit out of my <laughs> wheelhouse here. <laughs> I guess culture, yeah, but to some extent. <clears throat> yeah, yes. you know, yeah, from the culture, it's it's a, it's something that's been passed down from, I mean, down the generations. Yes. I believe that you know, a woman sticks around because she's the glue that holds the family together, mm -hmm. um, and that in usually the context is children. Yeah, you yeah. know, if you leave uh, with the kids, what's going to happen? Also. At that time, uh, it was very different. Women were not working women like they are today. So you leave, but you are... So what are you going to do? You're, you're a housewife and you, you're you depending on your husband. So Sorry, if you're going I just to... just say something quickly while you're yeah. on the issue of culture? You know, the other thing about our culture was that um, as much as our culture taught that, yeah. the setup was also... was so supportive, you know, that you could, you had people that you could go to in the event that there were problems. Mm -hmm. There was yeah. a proper, proper setup where you knew that I go to, you know, yeah. yes, exactly, yeah. you know, and you could go and they would come and they would try and sort out the issues. Yeah. Um, just to jump in on the issue oh, of culture, you yeah. see. So the culture would also want to then support what they said about making sure that you stayed because they then brought in that support structure yeah. right. to ensure that they gave you the help that you needed, which we're not seeing today now. Yeah. You know, yeah. yeah. Sorry, hmm. carry on. No, no, I just absolutely. wanted to just so, say that before yeah. I forget. You know, so there the was that as well, the safety net um, that the culture gave. Unfortunately, that, yes, they would come in and want to help you, but the overriding messages stay yeah. regardless. Yeah. Um, so I think sometimes now when you come into the situations that you find where, especially where the husbands are abusive and uh, domestic violence, which is a big issue in our country, uh, someone is being beaten senseless and they're mm. staying. Um, it, it just, yeah, when you think about it, you look at it from a logical point of view, you look at it from... Uh, <laughs> Uh, legal point of view, you look at it from a theological point of view, it doesn't quite stack up, you know, because, you know, God says, uh, the verse I'm going to quote has got so many ways that it is interpreted. I don't know why it's like that, but it's in Malachi 2.15, I think, 14 to 15. Every time I hear Malachi, I think of tithe. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> People think Malachi, that's all that's there, you know. But there's so much more in Malachi. So I was getting ready to sow a seed right now. <laughs> you know, but uh, it actually talks about how uh, God hates divorce, but not just that he hates divorce, but if you read the Amplified, it says he hates divorce and he hates the one who covers his garment, which was uh, a euphemism for one's wife, mm. uh, with violence, mm. right? Mm. So uh, he hates divorce and he hates the one who beats his wife. So in God's eyes, it's about the same thing. Mm. Right. Um, and so when you have that from a, and you have the Bible saying this, and then you have Anatete, Anag, Gogo, whatever, are saying just stay regardless. Um you know, then you have to ask what trumps what mm. culture versus what scripture says. Yeah. Um, a person who's beating their wife senseless should not be allowed to continue in that 
marriage with that. Because at the end of the day, you're looking at someone could die. There's yeah. been many mm. situations people have been told to go and submit, mm. and the next thing they're doing is coming to collect a dead body. Yeah. Mm. Um, and then the children that she's saying, I'm staying because of the kids, well, they don't have a mother anymore. Right. So does it make sense for you to stay and have, be at the risk of not being there for your children permanently? Mm. Or to say, hey, this is not working now. This is not what it should be. And though God hates it, but what he, he hates just as much me staying in this and getting beat into a pulp. Mm. So that's where some of the complications come around. I'm not a fan of that kind of teaching where you say a woman stays regardless. Yeah, I, I think most of the time when people say that, they don't bring that theological or that biblical standpoint. Because let's face it, the people that do go to these tea parties and are given the opportunity to speak, not all of them are Christian. Mm -hmm. Some of them are Christian, but they are uh, Christians, Christians that have, yeah, Christians, yeah, <laughs> in the nominal sense, yeah. where they have one foot planted in church, church and the other foot planted in tradition yes. and, you know, and that kind of thing. Yeah. So we, we have to be so careful. We always have to filter everything we hear through the word of God. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. And for me, that just doesn't work. If you're saying, regardless of the situation, of course, it's good to hold up marriage. That's what the Bible says. You know, basically Jesus was saying, you could interpret it as him saying, stay regardless in another way of reading what he said. But if you then take the whole of scripture through, you know, the scope of it and what God says in Malachi, that covering a garment with violence is not on, then you have to see those situations where it can be acceptable for someone to walk away. Mm. And, you know, just, just, just to add on that, I mean, for me, I find when I'm asked to speak at uh, these kitchen teas and so forth, I don't speak on submission because the husband is not there. Because the Bible, after it speaks about, you know, when we look in First Peter and it's talking about, you know, uh, the headship of the man and he submitted to God and then, you know, wives must be submitted to husbands. The command commandment after that is that husbands must love their wives. So you know that these two go together. You know, yeah. my submission is also because I am loved and I can see that I am loved, mm. you know. And the Bible also tells us that we must serve one another. Yeah. Even though we are submitting, you know, I'm submitting, but there's still an act of service that my husband has to do towards me and the acts of service that I do towards him. And um, so I don't speak about submission because the husband is not there. And because it's very, very easy to end up giving a very warped idea of submission where mm -hmm. if you're speaking to the woman alone, it just sounds like I'm only, you know, talking to the woman about submitting. But when the husband is already submitted to God, like what he's saying. You know, where God says that he hates violence because God loves the sanctity of life and he preserves that and he protects that. Yeah. And that's why we're told, you know, one of the commandments is we, sh we, sh we shall not murder. And it's the same thing now when you're in a marriage and you're beating someone senseless. You know, and not only that, you know, you've also got the mental abuse mm -hmm. where someone, you know, someone is now on antidepressants. To me, that's also like an act of murder because you're literally yeah. killing yes. a person's yes. capabilities yeah. and abilities and so forth. You know, I, I lost a friend, a workmate to a domestic violence and I remember one of the things she said when we sat down and we spoke to her was that I don't want to be called a single mother um, you know by society I don't want to be called this by people I don't want people to perceive me as the one who's failed because unfortunately the sad thing about it is that um, no matter no matter the situation I've always found that somehow even years later we always try and make it seem like it was about the woman yeah. but did you really try hard enough to stop him from hitting you did you really try hard enough you know, to stop him from, you know, why didn't you just make sure his food was there? Why didn't you just, you know, stuff like that? Like, yeah. it's so simple. Um, and it's not really that. So for me, I feel that um, when it comes to these cases, you have to really treat them um, case by case, because not every case is the same. There's always something very, very different. Mm. And like he's saying, you know, we can't sit, um, you know, for the church and say, 
stay while you're being beaten up. You know, I would rather if 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 we want to push and say you know, you guys need to stay married, which is good anyway. Yeah. S- separate, let's separate you while we then deal with the psychological issues that this man has, obviously, since he's being violent and so forth. Yeah. And we're also dealing with you, you know, to get healing from the trauma and so on and so on and see if we can then reconcile you later on. But you definitely can't still be in this place because yeah. of the violence, you know, because of, uh, you know, what's happening. And I mean, it's also happening to women, you know, to men too, where men are being beaten up. So, mm-hmm. you know, we have to step in and then there has to be a separation while we're dealing with, because obviously it's a psychological issue. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone who's normal, you know, in their normal senses will beat up their spouse, really. You know, it yeah. really doesn't make sense when someone resorts to violence. So thank you for that. So my, my next question um, then is just in line with what you're saying. Um, <clears throat> so we're talking about, I guess from, from what you're saying, I can kind of get the gist that the are cases or scenarios where leaving is um, plausible or uh, encouraged, right? Yeah. The Bible does say infidelity. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's definitely allowed. And I think for a lot of people who've been in relationships where the spouse has cheated on them, they, they know the effects you yeah. know, emotionally, mentally, and so on. And some have chosen to stay and some have chosen to leave. Yeah. yeah. I guess that I just got a thought, right? Uh you're talking about how you've been training your daughters mm. and so I I do karate, right? <laughs> so I'm just thinking, you know, maybe as an extra skill. Yes. You can take them to karate, karate classes. <laughs> I can take that. <laughs> right. Anyway, so I know, hey. Um <laughs> Moving on. So my question, my question is um where then do we draw the balance between uh, we want to encourage people to get married and obviously fight for the marriage, stay within the marriage, mm. right? Um, but at the same time, <clears throat> uh, we want to obviously protect people and for them to be aware of the possibilities and the challenges that come with marriage, mm-hmm. right? The flip side of that is that um, don't we also then run the risk of ending up with uh, you know, a generation of people that get into marriage mm-hmm. with divorce as, as, an, as option. an option. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Just to say, yeah. you know what? This person is ticking me off. Or I've got a threshold. If they push, if they push me to this limit, that's it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so, you know, where we're literally getting into marriage with um, divorce as, as an option, yeah. right? H- how can that be addressed? How can that be navigated yeah. around? Look, I, I think... One of the, if I can just take this back a little bit, and, and this may sound radical to a degree, so it might take people time to just really think about what I'm about to say, but I have to say because from the Word of God, you know, yeah. when when the disciples said what they said about, you know, it's better that a man should not marry, Jesus then said, this word is not for everybody. Mm. Um, because some have made themselves eunuchs for various reasons. Some were born that way. There are others who were made that way by men and others have done so of their own volition for the sake of the kingdom of God. But whoever receives the word should receive it. And you would imagine that the ones, it's not for everybody would be the eunuch thing. You know, that it's not for everyone to be a eunuch, to spend the rest of your life without, you know, being married. You're single. It's not for everyone. The person that, no, but it says marriage, the word on marriage is not for everybody. And I, I think because of the pressure uh, various pressure, societal pressure, uh, physiological pressure, you know, the need to meet sexual needs, people end up getting yeah, married. Real. Yeah, it's real. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, people end up getting married because of that, you know. But Jesus said, uh, it's not for everyone. This word about 
you know, sticking it out regardless and only yeah. in the case of, of infidelity. That's not for everyone. <laughs> so I, I believe one of the reasons we see divorce is because you have a lot of people that have gone into marriage who are not supposed to, who are supposed to have considered staying on their own. But because of all these things that we talked about, they, they get in and they realize, ooh, like the disciples saying, hmm, if that's the case, <laughs> no emergency, kick our panel, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's one of the issues. But then I think understanding that divorce is a last resort and that that's not the, it's, it's not something that you do lightly. I think we can teach people that. Yeah. That it's, and that's why Jesus gave that one case, I guess. And then there's also just another one uh, in First Corinthians 7 where Paul says, if you're married to an unbelieving uh, spouse and if they decide they want to leave you, maybe you got married, both of you were unbelievers and then one of you gets saved and then the spouse isn't saved. And then if the spouse says, okay, I'll stay with you even though I don't believe what you believe, then you shouldn't divorce. But if they want to leave and they can't cope with your beliefs, then you have to let them leave. That's another situation where divorce okay. is allowed. Um, so the, 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 the cases are, are, are so few because the idea is marriage should be for life. Right. And I think that if we can teach that uh, and reinforce that and then let people know that even you know, divorce is in those situations and also only, especially if you think about it in a Christian uh, kind of uh, context, that you're not going to divorce <laughs> until and unless you have given it a chance in terms of you know, uh, going to see the likes of Pastor C here, you're right, get counseling, get help uh, as much as possible. Um, and then only if all the fail-safes have failed, then it's the absolute last resort. I think people, I don't think people will get into marriage thinking, oh, I can get in and uh, I can get divorced later. I think that'll be very sad if that happened that way. Um, I was going to say that, um, you know, one of the things that I've picked, we, we do a lot of um, marital counseling, both pre and, and crisis counseling. And um, if you notice, I didn't mention any counseling in between. That's a weakness that I've seen with a lot of Christians. We do a lot of preparation and then that's it. You know, there's no one uh, who continues to walk with the couple mm. throughout the marriage. Mm. And the couple also don't seem to think that it's important for us to constantly have that consistent contact with our counselors. And yeah. I always encourage people when I go to kitchen teas or when my husband speaks at weddings, you know, that it's so important to ensure that whoever's done your premarital counseling, if they can, if they can't look for someone else, but have people that you're accountable to. One, it allows a culture of, um, you know, especially for the men to be able to communicate constantly. Mm -hmm. You know, he now knows that he's got someone that he can trust because men are not as openly communicative as women are. Right. So he now knows that he's got somewhere to go to, you know, that he can, you know, and someone that he can talk to who's not going to have his business all over the place and he can trust this person and he also knows that this person has his best interests at heart. So you know, so there's that trust that's been built between, um, you know, the husband and the, the older counsellor. And then you find that, you know, the wife is the same thing. So in the event that I have a problem, I've got someone that I can go to who can then speak to my husband on my, on my behalf. Mm -hmm. And my husband won't feel attacked. He won't feel as if this person is on my side. You know, that kind of thing, because we already have created a relationship. When mm -hmm. we look throughout the Bible, that's what was happening. You know, there were a lot of relationships. I mean, even Jesus mentored the disciples before they became apostles. For years, he walked with them, you know, and he continued to walk with them. He didn't release them, you know, to go out on their own until he felt that they were now ready and it was time. And it's the same thing. You'll probably find that in the first few years of marriage, you're meeting your counselors more often 
you know, than what happens later on. But in that now, we are we keep, you know, talking about the issue of we need to work this out. It can be worked out. The problem is a lot of couples then come to us and it's crisis counseling. Mm-hmm. And they have, and they're coming more like, um, I, I'm, at least when I'm now asked, I can say, yes, we did go for counseling mm-hmm. and it didn't work. But oh, in I their see. minds, they're already divorced. Yeah. They're already out of the marriage. Yeah. They have no interest or whatever. What they're pushing for is for their best interest. They want to make sure the guy will look after the kids or they want to make sure, you know, uh, they don't look like the bad person, that kind of yeah. thing. But a lot of times by the time people seek, and the sad thing is this is happening in the church. So my encouragement is that don't stop at pre-marital counseling, mm-hmm. but let that counseling continue. Even if you have nothing to say, Visit your counselors, you know, and just, you know, just visit, you know, just that, you know, just being in that atmosphere of people who have a good marriage and who have a strong marriage and they're at peace and whatnot. It also speaks to you. I mean, I've seen couples where if you go like for a marriage ministry thing and maybe the couple that are teaching hold hands, I've watched couples in the auditorium begin to hold hands, begin to get closer. It's like automatically your actions begin to reflect upon who you're mentoring. And that's what we want, you know, Um, like I was saying that as the church, we really need to to really begin to push the issue of relationships, you know, and have that um, mentorship, like one-on-one mentorship, you know, join a, jo- jo- join the marriage ministry. People like to join the marriage ministry when they're in crisis. No, as soon as you get married, you're now married. So be a part of the marriage ministry, continue to serve and so on, you know, because that, 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 that growth spiritually is good because you're growing at the same pace. You're hearing the same things, but you'll find that, when we have married meetings, it's the women that are coming. The men are not there. So she's getting home and she's trying to start all these things that have been taught at church. And he's behind because he wasn't there. Yeah. So to him, it's not important, you know. Or it's the husband who's pitching up and the wife is not pitching up because she's angry, she's hurt and so on. Yeah. But when you keep going for these meetings and you keep, you know, um, contact with the people who are your counselors, it really speaks into your own marriage. And you begin to see the power of, uh, you know, of, 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 of being married because they're also showing you that they've also been through. You know, the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. A lot of these, I can't even say a lot of, uh, all these issues that people go through in marriages are not new, you know. But when you're now working with people who've overcome, you then realize, oh my goodness, you know, the people who are mentoring us have actually been through this financial, you know, uh, problem. And yeah. this is how they then, you know, got over it. They had these mother-in-law issues and this is how they got over it. Mm -hmm. They didn't get divorced, but this is what they did. But you can only get it by seeing other people who've overcome and then you now know that it's possible. Yeah. Thank you for listening to this episode this far. This episode has been split into two parts, so it'll continue on part B. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Radiant Culture Podcast. If you want to make a contribution, make a suggestion, or have a request, you can get in touch with us via email on radiantatthehub.co.zw or inbox us on Facebook and Twitter. Look out for the next episode and remember to share this one with everybody you know. God bless. It's hot. It's fresh. It's uncut. Hashtag Real Talk on the Radiant Culture Podcast.